Welcome to The Backstretch. I'm News 5's Heather Williams. And what a fascinating race that we had at Pocono. You know, Denny Hamlin and Kyle Larson getting tangled up. They're supposedly really good friends. Uh, after the race, Kyle said it won't affect their friendship, but it'll affect the way that they race each other on the track. And then Denny coming out and saying that the way that the playoffs are structured now and the way you get into there, it encourages this kind of racing. Uh, people are mad because they compare it to what was going on between Denny and Ross or, you know, moving people at other parts of the race. And, and here's what I'll say about this. And I've said this before. I feel like I'm being pretty consistent when I say this. Time, place, situation, all matter. That move at a different racetrack at a different time maybe isn't the same. But he didn't hit him. He may have touched him. Denny says he didn't touch him. I think the video shows he did. But he didn't hit him. He didn't move him. He took the air off of him and send him up the racetrack. He wasn't trying to hurt him or to punt him. He was trying to get him loose. They're also going for the win, right? We don't know this probably was going to be the last restart, could have been the last restart, and it's go time. You got to win races. And I think that was Denny's point. You know, I'm, I'm trying to win a championship here, and gosh knows he takes enough guff over his inability to not win a championship. Getting points, getting these bonus points for winning races, these playoff points, is really important for staying alive throughout these uh, elimination stages, particularly the first couple, because you could have, if you have enough bonus points, you can have a bad round or two and still advance. See Chase Elliott the last couple of years. Um, and so, you know, Denny's still in the hunt for this regular season championship, which has a lot of bonus points for the playoffs. I mean, saying I really do because this is your friend you're not supposed to race your friend the same way you raced Ross Chastain but he's not getting paid to be Kyle's friend I mean I just hate to be that blunt about it but being Kyle's friend doesn't pay the pay doesn't pay the mortgage and time is is ticking away for Denny Kyle has the championship Denny doesn't and so while I see both sides of this I just think that if you take a step back and you look at time and place and situation, all those things matter. And I personally don't have any problem with what Denny did in that situation. I generally don't have a problem with these kind of moves unless there's some sort of malice. I didn't really have any problem with what was going on with Ross other than it, it, it started to feel malicious a little bit into it uh, between him and Denny. But other than that, I didn't really have a problem with the way he was racing. I thought what happened at Martinsville last year was amazing. Uh, I loved every minute of that. So, you know, take that for what you will. But in this in this situation, um, I think everything was good. All right. So coming up today on the podcast, uh, Chris uh, will join us briefly. Uh, he has is going to be out this week and next week, but we did some things with him before he left. So uh, we'll have a brief moment of talking 
with Chris. And then uh, the guest this week is Corey LaJoy. You're really going to want to stick around for this. Uh, Corey is one of those guys, and this is why his podcast is so successful. But he's one of those guys that just tells it like it is in his world. He doesn't whitewash things. He doesn't try to um, pander to the audience. As you'll find out when we talk about the schedule in Bristol, he knows I'm from Bristol, but he has some strong opinions on Bristol, which I think is great. I think it's interesting to hear those opinions because he's not the only one that shares it as far as should there be two races at Bristol. So um, you're going to want to stick around with the interview with Corey. Great, as always. Uh, and then we'll come back and have our final thoughts and I'll kind of give you my thoughts on what Corey had to say about Bristol specifically. So let's get things fired up with Chris. Let's get fired up here and let's start with, there were a lot of drivers who are trying to get into the game or trying to keep up with tricks that made maybe uh, some bonehead uh, mistakes, either as a driver or as a team. Uh, Christopher Bell's pit crew had a mistake. Ryan Blaney made a mistake on pit road. Uh, the 10 cars pit crew made a mistake. Are mistakes magnified at this time of the year when the races to the end of the regular season are, are, are shrinking? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's time now where, you know, we've been through a lot of races. Some people have gone through ups and downs. You've had people be successful and then fall off and have droughts and this, that, and other. And you've got, you know, you got really probably a good seven or eight drivers that are more, maybe 10, that are fighting for those last couple of spots. And everybody knows in the back of their mind that, hey, if, if somebody new wins a race and that plugs a new guy into the playoffs, then it changes the whole picture. Instead of being two points behind, I might be, you know, in the playoffs. Or if I'm not, uh, uh, if I'm 20 points behind, all of a sudden the guy wins a race. Now, now I'm 100 points behind getting in. So uh, it makes a bit, you know, it's, it's, there's no time for mistakes now. That sounds cold and hard, but that's the way it is. It's go time. And, you know, a, a, a slide through a pit like the 12, it, it, can't have that. That's shooting yourself in the foot. That's putting more bullets in the gun and just shooting your foot off. Uh, there is one heck of a race for the uh, final positions yes, there in is. the playoffs. I think it's uh, Bubba's up a point or two on Michael McDowell, who's up a point or two on uh, Daniel Suarez with um, Ty Gibbs and Alex Bowman kind of just lurking not too far behind those three. Yep. When you look at those five, you got to assume that they might all be racing for one position because there, there yep. definitely could be another winner, Absolutely. or maybe even two in these final races. So when you look at those five, which guys do you think are in the best position to make the playoffs? Whoa, Heather, that's a tough one. You know, if I was, um, it, it seems like you know the 23 had a better day. Uh, well, Monday this weekend. Uh, he he kind of he had been in a little bit of a lull there for what about a month or so. It just seemed like it, nothing was going right. They couldn't get good finishes. They were, they weren't running as good as they did earlier. Before that, they were running good a lot of places and had a lot of momentum. So if they can catch that back up, I'm, I still think he's the guy maybe that I would put my money on out of out of the ones that are there. Um, I see some other people just missing opportunities. You know, they just miss, they get there and they just miss opportunities. And it seems to be a consistent thing. So 
Man, I, I tell you, that's a tough one. Uh, that this is going to be an absolute grapple for the next handful of races, trying to trying to get in. And I think it's going to come down to who makes the least mistakes. Richmond, uh, talk about the keys to that. I mean, I'm guessing. They didn't get a chance to, to test the short track package, so we're going to still be working with what we had at Loudon, and we've had the first half of the season. But I'm guessing this is probably a pretty big test for drivers, just because short track racing has been kind of miserable. But it's, yes, it you know, it's where where the championship is decided is on short track. Well, the the intensity is going to be there. The the need to perform and the need for many drivers to finish in front of other drivers and have a better day simply because of the points situation and getting in the playoffs, it's all there. Somebody else trying to win a race, you know, there's, there's some guys there that haven't that, that could take advantage of this opportunity. We're hoping that, you know, what NASCAR brings, what the rules package and everything produces for Richmond will produce some good racing, some passing and some quality passing and guys racing and maybe rubbing just a little bit without wrecking one another to get by and make up spots. That, that's, uh, hopefully that's gonna work out and it'll be an exciting race. All right, so first of all, I think I talked about this with you kind of the last time, because the last time I talked to you was right after Kansas. Um, but I know you were involved in, a, in an incident at the end of the race uh, this weekend and there was incidents between Denny and, and, and and Kyle and Austin and Tyler, why is it that it seems like that the bigger tracks are now more like the short tracks? I mean, tempers, I've never seen tempers like this on the big tracks before. That's interesting. Um, that's an interesting angle to look at, but I think that because track position is so hard to get, passing is extremely hard to place like Pocono is probably the, the most, um, the most where aero blocking is effective um you know air dirty air is is prevalent anywhere you go anywhere from martinsville to daytona but um pocono with as fast as the track is with as narrow as the really the, the racing groove is and as flat as the corners are you have to take advantage of when you have a run uh, and i think we saw that a couple times uh, on sunday and um, obviously when you have that uh, you have guys being aggressive there's gonna be some guys that come out with the short end of the straw so you mentioned that, 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 that these tracks are, are more about the arrow. We've lost a lot of that, it seems like, in the smaller tracks. I know there was supposed to be a test and it got rained out, but do you see, as we head to a smaller track this weekend, any improvement coming on the shorter tracks, or are we just going to have to wait till they get some more of this testing done before we see real improvement in the way these cars race there? Um, yeah, I think there's a loaded question. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of variables that, that factor into what makes a, a short track race good. Um, you know, you, you go to a place like Richmond and it's, it's really worn out. So your, your minimum speed is really slow and you're looking for every little bit of grip. So you're not going to get guys running into each other because just the, the amount of traction that you have is, is very limited. Um, so that really lends itself to getting strung out. You know, and then you go to a place like Martinsville and you're with the ability to shift and the tires don't really wear out. So you're running, uh, you're running essentially 500 qualifying laps because uh, the tires don't fall off and you can downshift and keep your, your RPMs high to get a good launch off the corner. And, and it makes your, your margin for error a bit bigger than it was because you had to keep your RPMs in that range to be able to launch well. Um, so, you know, Goodyear's going to work on software compounds that, that give up potentially 
harder on the back end of the runs. And then also the, the up-down splitter that NASCAR is working on is, is showing some promise as well. And they're going to test that this weekend or the Monday after the race with a couple cars. So um, if that works like they think it does in the metaverse, then it should be pretty good. Um, there's been so much change over the last couple of years to the schedule. And last night there was a big meeting about the ongoing things at, at the fairgrounds. Your guy's been around the sport a long time. You've seen all sorts of configurations of, of schedules. If you had your dream schedule of tracks you could have on the circuit, what kinds of tracks or maybe what track would you like to see uh, NASCAR racing? Yeah, um, I'm glad it's above my pay grade and I don't, I'm not <laughs> the one that has to lose sleep at night worrying about it. But, um, you know, we, we talked about this on Stack and Pennies a little bit about, you know, there's only three tracks that I feel like can, can have an argument to go to twice. You got Daytona, you got Talladega um and martinsville are are really probably the only places that we need to be going twice um you know and, and i even had an argument yesterday for bristol twice but then then flores brought up well they wouldn't need to put dirt on it if people were showing up and and thought bristol was good enough for two dates so um i would personally for nostalgia's sake move the daytona regular season finale back to july 4th weekend move the atlanta move atlanta to the regular season finale to keep it kind of a wild card type race um you know the i could probably go without a road course but go to maybe a, a mexico city or montreal um you know, I can do one, I could do another Chicago street race. I'd like to see another Den potentially Denver or Manhattan or somewhere like that to take our show on the road on the streets as well. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm cool with 36 races because I don't want to get my pay prorated for how many other races they cut off schedule. So I like a long one. <laughs> Makes sense. It's interesting you brought up Bristol because I do find it fascinating living here that there's a debate on whether or not we should be here twice do you think that the date is the problem or the or the track? Because it feels like, I know it was during COVID, but when they had the All-Star race there, the demand was far beyond the tickets that they sold. Mm -hmm. With that race being in May, do you think Bristol might have a better chance if they move that closer to the summer away from the rain? Or is it just uh, two, tra two races? I mean, I think not, one of the guys advocating for it, so I'm probably asking the wrong person. Yeah, I mean, I, like I, as a driver, love Bristol because uh, I just think there's so many great things. The the facility's great. It's just it's a top notch facility, and you like to go to those places twice. But um, if if the audience is wanting different venues, different markets, flash in the pan style events for three to four times a year. And you have to lose a Bristol that um, is, is only 80% capacity for two dates. And you have to go to one and you obviously sell it out and you drive the demand up back to the good old days of waiting list or, and I also don't think a schedule should be locked in. I think some some years Bristol should get one, some years it should get two. Some some years you can throw a Kentucky back on the schedule. You can throw an Iowa on the schedule. There's a lot of good racetracks uh, that we haven't seen the Cup cars go to that could be a once every three year type appearance. So are some of these tracks too big? 
Because I mean, Bristol's 100,000, it sells 60, everybody talks about it being empty. Martinsville's 35,000, it sells out and everybody's celebrating it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that they just, they were playing the game and, and playing the, the cards they were dealt. I mean, you talk to Humpy Wheeler and he thought that in 2001, they were going to have stands all the way around Charlotte. I mean, that's that was legitimately the pace at which it, the sport was growing. And then how people intake content and just the the live opportunities to go you know see a sport or you know blackout there was blackout areas if you wanted to watch a cup race back in the day so a lot of variables um hang on let me plug my computer in here um you know there's a lot of variables that that hurt live sports in general not just our sport but our, our sport certainly went through a lull um, and I'm not sure live attendance for any, for any, you know, whether it's a major league soccer game or a football game ever gets back consistently to what we saw in the early two thousands when no, when people weren't on their phone, staring at their phone for eight hours a day, you know, like it's just, it's different now. Um, that wasn't really where I wanted to go down, but it was interesting to me since you brought it up. I, I asked a couple of questions, uh, this weekend at Richmond, uh, what are the keys to that track? Like what? would you compare it to maybe in the playoffs? Is it like Phoenix? Does it help prepare it for the playoffs or is it just its own animal? It's its own animal. And and it is so slick. I mean, it's, it's the closest. Now North Wilkesboro was in its own universe in terms of lack of grip, but, um, but Richmond is, in its own on its own planet when it comes to grip or lack thereof i mean you are searching for grip you can't get the power down after 15 laps you won't be able to get wide open on the straightaway that's unlike a lot of places that we go to so um you're looking and you're looking for inches here and there and trying to keep the tires underneath you trying to make them live longer uh so richmond is a, a really sensitive driver field track you have to have a good car has to have good downforce uh, but Richmond is a tricky place. For my final thought today, I want to go back to what we were talking about with Corey and Bristol having two races. Look, I'm obviously biased in this department because I live um, three miles from the racetrack and I love Bristol and I love going to races there. Uh, when I left my job in Wichita, I could have gone to a number of different places and I chose Bristol for a reason. And that reason was the racetrack. So I can't even imagine this place not having two dates. And I don't think that it deserves to not have two dates. I, I disagree with, with Corey in that sense. I think the thing that really hurts Bristol and Corey touched on this a little bit is it's too big. I mean, he's talking about places that sell out, Daytona, Talladega, Martinsville. Bristol's bigger than all of those races. Talladega and, and Daytona are close, but Bristol is, is much bigger. Bristol also has more um, wider weather swings than Talladega or Daytona. Uh, they have a little bit more of a milder climate. So things like weather affect a race in March or April in Bristol, where they probably don't in Talladega or Daytona. And I have certainly seen Martinsville empty when they've raced in the snow. So, uh, and Martinsville only holds 
40,000 people. That's a third of Bristol. So a cellar at Martinsville is much easier. And I have seen Martinsville empty as all get out when the weather's poor. Same as Bristol. So, you know, would you rather go to a 40,000 seat Martinsville, have it sold out, but be empty if it rains, or go to a 120,000 seat Bristol, sell 60,000 tickets and have it have 30 if it rains. You know, those are the, those are the questions you have to ask that NASCAR has to ask when they're making this schedule. I think it's unlikely that Bristol loses a date. I could be wrong in this, but it's just the sense I get. I think it's unlikely that Bristol will have dirt. I think it's likely that Bristol may move later into the summer. I think, you know, it the the dirt, I like the dirt. I didn't hate the dirt, but you know, I think it I know it's a really polarizing thing. I do think regardless of what happens with the spring race, it really needs to be a summer race, having lived here in Bristol for a while. It rains pretty much all the way through March and April. It gets cold. We've seen snow here. We saw Kurt Bush do the snow angels when he won. Uh a few years back, it's been more than a decade now, but I mean, weather happens here. We're in the mountains. So, um, I don't know. Schedule should be coming out sometime in August. Be fascinating to see what happens, who gets races, who doesn't get races, where the races go, who gets two races. Uh, it's a complicated formula for NASCAR to, to figure out. And the one thing I can accuse Corey on in this instance is... I'm glad I'm not the person that has to do it. Thanks for joining us in the backstretch. We'll see you next week.